Thanks to the wonderful folks at Anchor.fm. Welcome, listeners, to Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from social media, news articles, his past audiobook recordings, and other spoken word projects, including those great writing projects that you send in. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. Thank you, Mr. Announcer, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome, fans of the spoken word. This is Tom Reads Your Story. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. Today, more from the great author Steve Vernon, and I'll be right back. The afterlife is not at all what Jack Duffy had expected. A failed suicide attempt launches him into a world that tests his abilities. In this world, he learns more about himself after a lifetime of horrific decisions. The Borrowed Soul, written by Paul B. Kohler and narrated by Tom Zania. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. Today, oh man, this is a good one. You're going to like this. Actually, I think you're going to love it. I do. Steve Vernon, as I have explained at least once or twice before on the podcast, is a terrific writer that I had the great honor of having to uh, perform with. For, excuse me. I performed, of course, his great short story. And this was just when I was starting out and I was so proud then. And I'm just as proud now. It's called, I know why the waters of the sea taste of salt. And I'm going to go back a ways to just remind you in case you weren't here or, or if you've forgotten, this is a story of a kamikaze pilot, world war two, who is flying his, uh, Oka, his plane, um, just moments before striking down at an American ship. It starts out, and I have to tell you this, this is, this is important. This is actually a science fiction short story because there is um, something that happens is something that you would find in a science fiction story. And I don't, I did not approach it that way because to me, it was more poetic. It was more personal. And anyway, you will sense that I am playing the last half of the story to the end. And you're going to love this. I, you know, I think this should be a movie. I, I really do. Um, I don't know if Steve has ever been involved in that uh, aspect of the business. I have no idea. I do know that he's a great writer, and you are going to love this. This is the last half 
of I Know Why the Waters of the Sea. Taste of Salt. I need to be higher. A man could see forever if he only climbed high enough. That is what the mountains reached for. That is why the clouds dreamed of heaven. The sea drank from the tears of the sky and swept them back up in soft, mist-ridden memories. We hurtled forward, my bomber friend and I nested below like a shadow, like an echo, like a bomb. He rode above me in his airplane, a great eagle, the hamaki long and cigar-shaped, and beneath its fuselage my oka. An egg waiting to be born, an explosion waiting to soar upon the burning wind. I have waited for this moment forever. This dream has haunted me for as long as I have breathed. I saw myself rising from the waves and sweeping down over the enemy, a great monsoon of meat and metal and vengeance. I was too young to fly with the great heroes who pounce like tigers upon the sleeping dreadnoughts of Pearl Harbor. I was too young to have flown at Midway. We were winged tigers roaring upon our enemy. The Americans could not stop us. And then we came to a corner in our path. Something turned, something twisted, and we began to lose. I was young and foolish and cheered when our country's circumstance grew so dire that they were forced to allow even the youngest men a chance to fly. I joined the Navy despite my grandfather's wishes. He had been a soldier in the Japanese Army, and he wanted me to follow in his footsteps. There are planes in the Army, too, he said. He was right, but the planes of the Army were for reconnaissance. They looked and spied where I would rather act. I followed darker dreams, dreams old beyond my grandfather's years. Now I would finally have my chance. I longed to revenge my country's misfortunes. We had roused a sleeping giant and were forced into retreat and surrender as wave after wave of American carriers, warplanes, and men rolled over our diminishing forces. As the great B-29 flying fortresses rained fire bombs upon the sacred walls of the Emperor's palace. Devil! shouted the bomber pilot. Devil! I looked forward. There, ahead of us, was an American fighter, a Mustang, named after a small savage horse. The Mustang was strangely alone. I wondered why this was. The Americans had the gift of numbers. They usually flew in packs and hordes, finding courage in multitude. Where were his comrades? I looked to the heavens and saw nothing. He was alone. Would he shoot us down? Even one Mustang was a dangerous opponent for an overloaded Hamaki bomber. Slow down. Let me fly, I urged, knowing the weight of my Oka crash plane would hinder the bomber's maneuverability. But the bomber would not let me waste myself. He flew boldly forward, straight at the American fighter. Would he crash him, ram him full on? A part of my spirit mourned such a waste. To trade plane for plane against such an army was not a plan at all. Yet part of me longed for the great taking, for the chance to knock down one of the enemy, even at the cost of my plane and my life. The Hamaki pilot opened fire with the single 7.7-millimeter machine gun in the bomber's nose and soared over the fighter plane, raking him from front to back. Why didn't the America plane turn, I wondered. Why didn't he try to circle us and come from behind? He was faster and more maneuverable. Why didn't he outfight us? 
The Hamaki pilot bore down upon the fighter, lifting slightly to fly over him, stitching a long funeral shroud with the trace of his machine guns. I was close enough to see the American pilot, pounding in vain at his instrument panel. A streamer of flame bled from the side of the tiny armored fighter. We passed over him, our tail cannon making short work of his aircraft, chopping him to pieces in the sky. Hard fist burst. Banzai! shouted the pilot. Ten thousand years. The Empire will last ten thousand years. Banzai! I dutifully echoed. It was a magnificently lucky kill. Even I, in my experience, knew this. Had there been another fighter, or had the drowned fighter not suffered from mechanical malfunction, the outcome would have been greatly different. The Hamaki bomber and my Oka crash plane would have been sent spiraling to the ocean below. I squeezed the Netsuki. Surrender was never an option. It was better to die doing something than to let go of what you held. That is what the Netsuki was for. Travelers carried them as good luck charms, as worry stones, as pieces to fiddle with, but their real purpose was to remind you that life was to be lived as long as you held on to something. I touched the release button. Why had I yelled at the pilot? How foolish I had been, forgetting in my panic that the key to my release lay in my hands. I stroked the Netsuki, breathing a silent prayer. I saw the smoke clouds of the American fleet steaming above the water. The distant fighter planes, like hordes of insects, swarmed high overhead. Soon we would close. Soon I could release my plane and crash into an American vessel. The hamaki waggled its wings to show the pilot's good spirits. I knew it had taken nearly all of his pitiful supply of ammo to bring down the fighter. I knew many more fighters awaited before us. I knew the sea would be thick with destroyers, cruisers, and battleships. I knew the sky would erupt like a thousand mushrooming volcanoes with American anti-aircraft gunnery. I knew so much. An empty skull is a useful soup bowl, my flight instructor once told me. Pour it full with knowledge and drink it up. The enemy lined up below me in the Okinawa waters at the doorstep of my homeland. The Japanese army was dug in deep as moles and would exact a heavy toll on the big-nosed American invaders, but in the end, it was inevitable. At best, we might give the American forces a severe case of indigestion, but the white men would still feast upon Japan's bones. It was a season for dying. The politicians talked of duty and sacrifice and how they would strew the entrails of the Japanese people across the beaches of our homeland in order to strangle the invading American horde. They prophesied victory snatched from the gaping jaws of defeat. Fools. I didn't care. My homeland was gutted by the great-bellied American bombers. Tinderbox cities climbed heavenward on wings of smoke and flame. Lives were made light as wind-bound cinder with the stink of charred meat, scorched bones. Men danced in the arms of fire and screams drowned in flame. A wheel turned and the shadow fell against us. We watched as a huge, unstoppable, star-clad striped tortoise clambered up a beach an inch closer. In the cities, children huddled, gnawing upon rats and worse. I wanted to strike back. I wanted to do something, anything. In the end, all the gods give us is the opportunity to choose our life and demise, and the inadvertent illusion of accomplishment. There was nothing left but to die well. The end of our war and our nation loomed as inevitably 
as the setting of the sun. I waited for my chance to crash headlong into a carrier or a battleship. I wanted to crash into something large, something that would make a difference, if only to me. A carrier would be best. The Americans built their carriers thin and large, big fat hollow eggshell targets that dreamed of explosions and drowning. A single crash plane could sink an American carrier and all the planes the carrier bore. The battleships were too well armored and gunned. It was a miracle when a plane got close enough to impact upon the deck of one, and more often the plane burst into flame, seared the hide of the big gun beast ship, and accomplished nothing. Even the 1,200-pound high-explosive payload of my Oka was but a single fart in the eye of an ironclad hurricane. I saw them now. The battleships, cruisers and destroyers, the landing ships and fat transports. Our planes swarmed among them like mosquitoes. The anti-aircraft bursts covered the sky like an army of clouds. The Americans swatted us from the heaven. I watched a cascade of Shinyo attack boats scud across the water, aimed at the American fleet. The Shinyo were long, explosive-laden speedboats with no more chance of getting close enough to do any real damage than a bumblebee attacking a whale. The escort ships whittled them down with blasts of automatic gunfire. Only one penetrated the defenses, slamming into a transport. The transport heeled to one side and sank. Banzai. Thirty-eight boats crippled one transport. We shot our final bolt. There would be no reinforcements. This was our last naval battle. Even now, the last few ships of our navy steamed out of Japan, steering for Okinawa with the intention of joining in combat with the American fleet. It was a fool's gesture. The American carriers would not let our few ships penetrate. Our fleet would be sunk long before they sighted Okinawa. Japan was dying. The Shinto priests waved their fans and bells and boiled their water and talked of the great typhoon that washed away the Mongol navy of Kublai Khan defeating his attempt to conquer Japan. Later on, in the Sino-Japanese War, another typhoon foiled a thrust from the Russian Navy. They believed a third typhoon would rise up and rid us of our American conquerors. I have heard the stories. I did not know if these kamikaze typhoons were the product of a miracle or the danger of setting sail in monsoon weather. The priests and politicians talked on. A simple act of meteorological upheaval became the stuff of legends. I fingered my Netsky. It focused my thoughts, energy, and mind through its essence. I was the serpent. I moved through the water. My shadow passed over it, hiding in the waves and the light. You could see my head and my tail, but never both at once. I was a mystery moving in shadow. I was a river come from many streams. I was the ocean, and you could not count every drop of seawater, every tear, and every drop of blood. My spirit was large. If only there was an equally large force on Japan's side. We had no allies left. The Americans had the English, the Canadians, the Australians, the Chinese, and even the Russians. The Germans had fallen. The Italians never learned to stand. Now the world came together to make war over Japanese waters. 
A flying splash of metal color blasted before my eyes. I saw a Mustang fighter, machine guns hammering like a shout of carpenters. Nailing my oka, bullets ripping me. I was dying. Not yet. I could not die yet. I squeezed the Netsuki. It slithered in my hand, slick with my freshly spilled blood. I poked at myself. I felt soft and burning, loose pieces dangling, my entrails twisted in my fist as I tried to hold myself together in a cage of badly punctured meat. And then it happened. The waters below me steamed and churned like a pot over boiling. Something rose out of the waters below me. Was it a submarine? I prayed it was one of ours. A mighty I-class submarine that could send a belly full of long lance torpedoes into the guts of the American fleet. And then I saw what swam in the waters below me. I saw a serpent, huge and long. I must be dreaming, maddened by pain and futility. I blinked away the tears that swam before my eyes. This was no time for sentimental outbursts. My eyes stung and burned like salt water. No, it was more than that. I saw the sea's salt water. I saw through my eyes of something that moved through the water. And then it happened. The serpent rose up. Its scales ran like a thunder of rainbows, gasoline over water, gunpowder flames, and the running of burning meat. From out of the water the serpent rose hard and heavy, my Netsky beast, my soul soaring through its spirits in a long, tangled dream of vengeance. A serpent, huge and sleek with arcs of grain, cut and gouged from its hide. Do you see that? I called to the Hamaki pilot. There was no answer. The Hamaki pilot did not answer my cry. He did not give any sign of seeing the great beasts in the waters below. He was a blind man flying high above me, not seeing a thing. I looked down and saw my Netsuki, larger than a mountain, larger than an island. I fingered the figure in my hand. It felt warm and wet with my blood, a seedlet being born. We sailed and soared together, my Netsuki beast and my great bomber, the air and water combined. This is the miracle, I thought. This is the gift that will bring us victory. The priests were right. My grandfather was right. My father was right. We soared into the heart of the American fleet. The Netsky beast threw itself across the deck of a puny destroyer and snapped the lesser ship in two like a chunk of rotted driftwood. I tasted blood and meat. I heard screams and the tearing of sailor cloth. I snorted at the reek of fat, white American flesh. High above me, the Hamaki bomber twisted and danced through the horde of oncoming fighters. A nearby Zero blazed a trail of cover for our advance. We were unstoppable. My Netsuki beast rammed full into a landing craft. Even this high up, I heard the screams of the drowning soldiers. I tasted blood and terror and felt the bones of fighting men grind in my Netsuki beast's teeth. The Netsuki beast flexed its mighty wooden fishhide thews, forcing a great cloud of heat through the water. The drowning soldiers cooked like fish. The air stank of burnt meat. Banzai! I shouted. Ten thousand years. The Empire would live ten thousand years. 
and then something turned. An American cruiser placed herself next to my Netsky beast and raked its back with shellfire, punching and tearing great holes in the wooden beast's back. Banzai! I shouted, willing the Netsky beast straight into the soft metal of the great cruiser. I felt the sea beast's determination, felt the deck of the American cruiser bend beneath my sudden weight. An American battleship roared out of a wall of fire and steel, its sixteen-inch guns spouting a rain of retribution down upon my Netsky beast and the battered cruiser, the both of them nearly dead, freshly torn by a hail of flying metal. "'Release! Release!' shouted my bomber friend, as the fighters tore past his defense and raked him with a hail of heated bullets." I hit the release button and felt the yoke slip away. My oka sailed under the spirit and power of its stubby wings. The hamaki roared past, taking out two enemy fighters in a ramming attack. The flames burst like fireworks. I prayed the explosion would take out more fighters, but my prayers were wasted. Twenty more American fighters swooped past the exploding hamaki. I powered my aircraft down towards the battleship. There were no carriers in sight. I looked to my left and right. The cruiser erupted, a magazine hit by a stray shell, heaving the bulk of my Netsky beast into the air. I felt the beast's pain, felt the wind as my bulk heaved up from the waves. I felt myself widen in the blast. I was everything and everywhere all at once. I was born from many waters. I was the sea, the land, and the air. As I roared into a steep descent, I saw my great Netsky beast wallowing beneath the combined barrage of a half-dozen capital ships. I heard its voice, soft as melting honey, glowing inside my brain. I am dying, the Netsky beast said. I am dying of the future. The past has abandoned me. Time slipped away. I saw the battleship, fat and tempting below me. I saw the Netsky beast being torn into a skeleton of kindlewood and prayer. There were tears splashed in the great beast's eyes. Red, salty tears. Tears from the drowning men, the burning pilots. The marines splashed overboard like green-clad rocks. I tasted my mother's tears and my own, mixed and moving in a splendid blending of many waters. I know now why the sea tasted of salt. There were tears from every side raining down. All sides must sing of sacrifice. I turned my rudder and I screamed my plane into the Netsky beast's heart. We would die together. Our death would be a pyre for the American fleet to ground itself upon. They would remember this day for a thousand years to come. I felt a great wave rise up. A mighty monsoon rose from the impact of my plane against the Netsky beast, a monsoon powerful enough to halt the Americans' advance. But the monsoon was barely enough to slow them. The Netsky beast sank quietly into the slumbering ocean and ground its bones upon a distant dreaming coral reef. The water swallowed, Time folded in upon itself, and my skull lay down below, grinning upwards through the restless waves. Somewhere far beyond my dying vision, an American admiral paused as a single cup of coffee grew cold. 
he waited the storm out, and then he turned to light a cigarette with the strike of a single match, and he ordered the invasion proceed. In six weeks, Okinawa was nothing but a memory. Somewhere off Saipan, a B-29 bomber beast warmed up. A pilot and his crew sipped cups of bitter coffee and dreamed of Hiroshima, and in the metal womb of the bomb belly something glowed and chuckled like a fat wood stove. The waves rolled onwards, kissing the waiting shore with countless salty tears. They rolled onto Japanese beaches as well as North American beaches. And some day, they would surely drown us all. The End Oh, man, that story. It, it just does something. Maybe it's the way I performed it. Maybe it's the way Steve wrote it. But either way, it's one of the best things I've ever done. And um, I'm sure Steve has some great uh, similar feelings toward that story as well. And uh, I want to thank him for allowing me to do that. I thought it was terrific. And that's not to say you shouldn't go to audible.com and buy the whole thing. It's a short story. Uh, and yes, I did play bits and pieces of this before. But definitely support the author and, and buy this at audible.com. I know why the waters of the sea taste of salt by Steve Vernon. Terrific writer. And that should do it for this episode. If you enjoyed your visit today, please tell your friends and have them tell their friends. Be sure to email me at tomreadyourstory at yahoo.com or call... 929-260-1952. That's 929-260-1952 if you have any questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the chance to have an ongoing podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe and take care. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, audiobook, or video project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tom Reads Your Story.